Hey, it's been a minute since I've gotten to be here with you guys uh, preaching from the good book, and uh, I'm excited to be back with you. I've, I have missed a couple of weeks. We were on vacation, and I've heard rumor that um, the people that were teaching did a phenomenal job. Bob, I heard you did a great job last week, so thank you. The staff's been out of town, so we haven't had a chance to put it up on the website, so I have no idea what you said, but I've heard it was good. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, hey, uh, again, just for those of you that are just joining us now, maybe you weren't here for announcements, my name is Caleb Lynch, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Open Door Fellowship Church. Um, it's an honor. Uh, this is the church that grew me up, and this is the church that has shaped the way that I see Jesus and the way that I see the Bible and it has changed my life. And so uh, it always feels like a, a rare, special privilege to get to teach um, God's Word in front of you from this place. So um, we, are, we are about halfway through uh, the Gospel of Luke. We've been working our way through a series called Real Jesus, Real People. We believe Jesus is real, and we believe that the people that he encountered uh, were real people. And we believe that his encountering with them uh, shaped their lives and shapes our lives today. And so Luke doing a phenomenal job of unpacking the story of Jesus, um, the most thorough account of the story of Jesus. We wanted to take some time to work our way through it. Today, uh, the title uh, for, for today's is uh, Faith Over Fear. And if you have your Bibles, uh, at some point we will get to Luke 8:22 through 9:6. Um, so you can kind of put your finger there, and we will get to it quickly. Uh, we're really going to hone in today on uh, some words. Uh, the words would be fear, worry, uh, anxiety, and uh, from everything I read, from the information that is out there. Uh, it is pretty evident that we are living in a, in a time in history where anxiety is at its absolute highest, uh, like absolutely higher than any other time in history, anxiety is, is up there. And uh, we would be lying to ourselves if we said we don't experience that, we don't, it doesn't have some kind of effect on us. Um, but before we go into any of this, I want to just be really human for a second and say, um, can we just take the word shame out of the conversation with anxiety and fear? Some of you carry it. Some of you, it cripples you. Some of you, it shapes the way you make your choices. Uh, I'm, I'm including myself in this. And it can be a really shaming feeling to feel like I'm so dictated uh, and motivated and driven by my fear and anxiety, and I'm embarrassed about it, uh, but I can't seem to shake it off. Can we just for a moment, like, put that and just leave it over here for a second? We believe here at Open Door Fellowship that the cross was strong enough to remove shame, and we'll talk about that another day. But um, for right now, let's just say we're humans, and every single one of us deal with this thing called anxiety. And for many of us, it, it is crippling. Um, so, can we do that? Can we just kind of put that over there for a second and take that out of the equation? Um, fear is one of the most primal, natural instincts of the body. In fact, it's the thing that keeps you alive. So it's a really good thing. Um, but when fear turns into anxiety, 
uh, we start to see some effects that are really unhealthy for the human body. And so we're going to get into some of that. Um, and I believe that there is good news found in the Bible. I believe there is good news found all throughout Scripture uh, about how to deal with anxiety and fear and worry. And um, I believe there's freedom to be found on many of the pages of the Bible uh, as it relates to this very topic. And so if you don't, if you don't actually own a Bible, uh, you can download it on your phone. But we also just want to give you a hard copy if you don't own one. So on your way out the door, you'll see a bunch of Bibles kind of on a bookshelf right there. If you don't, if you don't own one, just grab one, write your name in it, take it with you. Uh, we believe it will shape your life forever. There's this guy named Nero. He is, is essentially the emperor of Rome. And uh, some don't really know why he did this, but he chose to do it. Uh, maybe for power or fear or whatever his reasons were, he started to burn all of Rome, light it on fire. This is back a long time ago, first century Christian time. And he just starts lighting the town on fire all over the place, starts burning people's homes up. No one has fire insurance at this time. It's a scary time. And people start not liking him for doing this. And so he needs someone to blame it on. And he blames it on the Christians. And people start persecuting the Christians, him included. He, he starts dipping Christians in oil and lighting them on fire in his backyard uh, to light his evening parties. He starts to sew animal skin onto Christians and throw them into arenas to fight wild animals. Uh, and Christians, who are just baby believers, have just come to put their trust in Jesus they are, are like terrified. And they, they have no idea what they're going to do. And Peter starts writing to them. And this is in First Peter. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised. This is First Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. How's your year going? Well, it's a bit of a fiery ordeal which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you. So he starts this conversation here, and then he keeps going, and he says these words. Uh, we use these words a lot, but, but listen to this. This is astounding. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Does the Bible say anything about anxiety? Yeah, he says, cast all of them on him because he cares for you. And then he finishes with this, 1 Peter 5.10. This is all one big chunk of a thought. And he says, And he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion and power forever and ever. Amen. 300 years later, uh, the Christians overthrew Rome. These Christians uh, established Rome. And you go, how did they do it? How did this persecuted little tribe of people uh, essentially shift uh, the, the, the known world at this time? And many will tell you, many theologians will tell you, they did it through this thing called love. They did it through this thing called love. Um, many will tell you that hate is the opposite of love. Uh, there's actually uh, scientific data that shows that the chemicals within your brain 
that get admitted during feelings of love are the exact opposite of the feelings that you feel and get released when you feel fear. The exact opposite. They're, they're counter uh, opposites. And, and the main reason is because when you are fearful, what do you do? You look inwards. You're only looking at yourself. You're only consumed with self. You're terrified for self. And love does the exact opposite. It looks out. And so what Peter, his words, were writing to this ragtap group of people that were being persecuted and lit on fire, he was saying, stop, choose love. And it shaped the world. It's astounding. Um, One of the reasons we, in this time, carry more anxiety than any other people group in all of history is because of what I would call data overload. Data overload. We are being given more data in a second than some people were being given in, in a long period of time. Listen to this stat I learned. This is only 400 years ago. Uh, the amount of knowledge and information someone would have had in their entire lifetime, this is just 400 years ago, in their entire lifetime, the amount of information they would have taken in is the equivalent to one volume of the New York Times. One volume of the New York Times is the equivalency to what someone would have known in their entire lifetime 400 years ago. That's crazy. They're titling our generation the culture of fear generation. 25% of all people who are employed by a company claim that their company invokes fear to produce results and defines their work environment as a culture of fear. Of fear. There are so many things coming at us each day, whether it be through an Instagram or a Facebook or the Internet or the newspaper or whatever, that give you reason to be afraid. Like, I had no idea that every single shampoo gave me cancer. <laughs> like, I've stopped washing my hair. Power lines are killing us. Global warming is killing us. Um, There's only enough water for us to stay in life for the next 45 years. I don't know if that's true, but I hear it. Nitrates are killing you. I don't even know what a nitrate is, but it's killing me. Bacon is good for you. No, wait, it's bad for you. No, wait, it's fat that's good for you. Wait, no, hold on. Fat will kill you. Wait, no, it's only a certain type of fat that's bad for you. As long as it's not high fructose corn syrup, you should be fine. (laughs) Unless it's aspartame, and then that'll kill you. Where does all the asbestos and lead go once I get it out of my house? (laughs) Why is China not buying my trash anymore? What is happening? Difference between fear and anxiety. Uh, Fear is someone running at you with a dagger and you can see them and you're afraid. That's fear. Anxiety is the fear or worry that someone might run at you with a dagger. It's not happening yet. It's not in front of you yet. It hasn't transpired yet, but you are consumed with the reality that it might. That's anxiety. And all this data overload, all this information about the actual real fears that are happening out there, they're just not happening to your life are creating this thing in you called anxiety. And for some of us, we can't even get out of bed. It is so strong. 
Anxiety is one of the fastest growing epidemics in the world. It's the number one cause of stress and depression. And it also has huge physical effects. Headaches, muscle pain, muscle tension, tightness in the body, especially in the head, neck, jaw, face, chest pain, ringing or pulsing in ears, excessive sweating, shaking, cold chills or hot flashes, accelerated heart rate, upset stomach, nausea, shortness of breath, dizziness, or feeling faint. It's, it's real, and it's only getting worse, and it is literally killing us, this thing called anxiety. Hundreds of times, hundreds of times, some will claim it's in the 400s, some will claim it's closer to the 300s, but 300 times in the Bible, um, the command is given, do not be afraid. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow seems to have enough worries of itself. Be anxious about nothing. What? We we put up that Philippians verse. Listen to these words closely. This is this is astounding language. Do not be anxious about anything. Does the Bible say anything about anxiousness? Yeah. Don't be anxious about anything. Helpful. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, your minds in Christ Jesus. That is, that is a tough verse to believe. Like, you read it and you go, man, would that, if that was true, that would be something, huh? Do not be anxious. Here, let's, will you put up the next one? This is how Eugene Peterson says it in the message. I just love it. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worry, pray. Let petitions and praise shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concern. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Um, something's been happening to me. So I, I took this job here at Open Door Fellowship, and one of the prayers I asked God was, God, would you shape my convictions? Would you lead this place, not me? Would you tug on my heart the things that are on your heart for this church, for this city, for this neighborhood, whatever it is? Would you, would you start wrestling within me? And... Um, like God does, he does it sometimes in ways you wouldn't expect. Uh, for many, many nights, probably once or twice a week, I get woken up in the middle of the night with um, like severe anxiety uh, about things that I know I don't have a conviction on yet. And I know that uh, many of us in this room have questions about sexuality, about women in church, about the poor, about you, you name it. There's a thousand of them. And the church uh, is, is um, having to answer 
to a lot of things right now. And I don't always feel like I have an answer. And it's waking me up in the middle of the night like in cold sweats because I don't have a conviction on this or that or I don't know an answer to this or that. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying. I didn't, didn't see this part of the job coming, but it's terrifying. And about the third night, I finally just called out to the Lord and I said, hey, I, I, I need you. I'm scared and I need you. And I don't, I don't have an answer for this. And the things I read say one thing, and this thing says another thing. And I feel like I'm caught in between, and I don't know what to do, Lord. And I don't have a conviction on this or that. And I'm scared. And the peace of God guarded my heart. And um, I am coming to convictions on things that I've never had convictions about. And I am having the most sweet time with my Jesus in the middle of the night. And the other night, we're up at the cabin for, for Christmas, and I got woken up again in the middle of the night, and I'm ready to be, like, anxious about something, and I realized he just woke me up to be with him. And, and I, I am loving it. I look forward to being woken up in the middle of the night by my Jesus, who is there to comfort me and to soften the blow of my anxiety. And that's happening right now for me, so that is something sweet. So if you see me a little sleepy... I had a good night. <laughs> and uh, some of you say, yeah, 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 but you don't know my situation, and I don't. Some of you say, and, and you don't know what I've gone through the last couple of years. It was a real fiery ordeal, and I believe you, and I believe that it's that hard. Um, but I also believe that, um, That it's enough. I also believe he's enough. I also believe that there is power in the name of Jesus. And I also believe that he's big enough for you and your situation. But in order to get to this place where we are willing to bow on our knees before the king and say, help, help, I, I need you. I think four things have to happen. And I'm going to put it up on the screen. I'd love you to just take a picture because we're going to go back to it for the rest of the message. And I want you to have it. We're not going to go back to the slide. Um, so here's the four things. I think uh, you and I, I think we have to first believe in the person of Jesus Christ, of God. I, I think we have to believe that he is Lord, that he is good, and that he is near to us. Um, that he's the big cheese, that he's in charge. I also think we have to trust and believe in his power, that there is nothing that thwarts or diminishes his abilities. I think we also have to believe in his pur purposes for us, that they are final, that they are complete, and that they are best. And I also believe that we have to trust in his peace, that it is enough, and that it is real. We're going to look at four stories from the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to watch four encounters with Jesus and humanity. Remember, we believe he's real. We believe the people he encountered were real. And we're going to watch four events take place. And we're going to look at fear. We're going to look at anxiety. And we're going to look at... Um, those in these stories and where they are at in trusting these four things to be true of God. It's going to be sweet. You with me? So first one, and I'm going to have Anita Case read these for us because she's better at reading than I am. Go for it, Anita. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. 
And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? If you have in your Bible, uh, just underline the words, where is your faith? Kind of in that last sentence. Um, if, you, if you remember those three, those, those four pieces, we need to trust in his person, his power, his purpose, and his peace. They, they, they deeply trusted in his person. They knew he was someone of authority. They knew that he was kind of a big deal. And so... In the middle of their moment of crisis, in their storm, what did they do? They woke him up. They said, hey, Jesus, uh, it's, we've got some bad stuff going on. Um, but did you notice where their fear showed up was when his power was on display. They were terrified. They said, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey? They were terrified by his power. And they didn't understand that his purposes were complete because, think about this, he said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. If Jesus says we're going to the other side of the lake, you're going to the other side of the lake. And at the same time, if Jesus is sleeping in the middle of your storm, it's probably not as big of a storm as you think it is. Um, and because they did not understand his purpose or fully understand his power, there was very little peace. Next story. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds to be driven by the demon onto the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man with whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. It's an interesting story. Um, We've really got three main characters. We've got this man 
um, who is possessed by demons. We have the demons who are talking to God. And then we also have the townspeople. Uh, sounds like a, a game of mafia or werewolf. But um, it, uh, it's an interesting story uh, because in some ways, Jesus doesn't act the way you think he would act. Uh, in regards to the demons, they beg him. So he, he gets off the boat. He starts talking to this guy. And at first he's talking to the guy. And then the language changes and it says they. And now the demons are talking to God, Jesus. And they say they beg him. They're begging Jesus, and they say, please do not throw us into the abyss. Uh, the abyss is code name for uh, demon jail, is maybe a way to put it. There's a lot more information to be shared with you on that, but if you go to Revelations 9, uh, there are demons currently held in captivity until the end times. And these are demons that have acted and um, acted out a way of living outside of their realm of whatever you would call it. Um, and so... He, they're begging him. They're saying, please, please, please don't throw us in demon jail. Uh, throw us into those pigs. And for whatever reason, he grants them a yes. That would be different than what we would expect Jesus to do in that situation. Uh, also, uh, you have this man who's just been healed of demons. And um, he's begging Jesus afterwards. He's been freed of these demons. And he's at Jesus' feet. And he's saying, please, can I come with you? And Jesus says, no, go home. That seems different than what we would expect Jesus to do. And then you've got these townspeople who say, Jesus, we're scared of you. Um, leave us alone. You're freaking us out. And he just leaves. He gets in the boat and he goes away. Um, the demons, for sure, understood who the person of God was. They understood the power of God without a doubt. They understood his purposes, what he was uh, trying to do, what he is trying to do. They just don't yet quite have his peace because they're under the realm of darkness. Uh, the townspeople uh, did not understand the person of God. They did not understand his power. They did not understand his purposes. And therefore, they were terrified of Jesus. The man, on the other hand... Um, he understood who Jesus was. He understood his power. He understood his, per well, he was a little confused by his purposes. He wanted to go with Jesus, but then Jesus got to redefine his purposes. Look what he said. Go back into the town and tell everyone what you've experienced. And he did. He trusted the purposes of God. Even though he wanted to go with Jesus, he trusted what God had for him. And he returned back to the town and he told everyone of what had happened. This town who is in unbelief of who Jesus was, his person, his power, his purpose, his peace, did not get it. The outcast, the crazy man, the naked dude running around in the tombs was the one who went and changed the course of the world for this little community because he trusted who this person of Jesus was. Um, we, get, we get a blessing we have a man that's going to tell us his testimony right now. And it's something we don't do enough here at Open Door um, is tell our stories of transformation and how Jesus showed up in our story and changed us. And so I hope this is something that continues week in and week out. But for today, we get Mike Aaliyah. Morning. Uh, it's probably no coincidence that he put me up during this story. 
Jesus heals a man with a demon. Um, he put that picture up. That's, that's why. That was my booking picture from uh, September 5th, 2002. And I'll tell you, there is um, no more anxiety in life than uh, drug addiction. And that had me for a lot of years uh, in its grips. And um, in that addiction, there was no, no God in my life and no resource by which the anxiety could be removed. And um, it snowballed up to that point. And I literally was the naked guy running around with a demon possessed. If you've seen me in Phoenix, you might know. Um, I was homeless. I was 128 pounds. And I was walking dead, literally dead on my feet. And, and I had uh, come to the point where I knew it. And I had no way around it. I had no escape from it. And I had just kind of accepted it. Um, and I didn't know that God was waiting for the right moment to, uh, to intervene. And he did intervene. And it looked a whole lot like uh, an arrest. <clears throat> and um, on the day I got arrested, September 5th, 2002, now I was absolutely certain my life was over because I, I knew a lot of tweakers. I knew where they ended up. Um, and I, I was sure I was going to be going to prison. I know what I had done. And I was just, I was cooked. And by the grace of God, I got, uh, I got tricked into going to a church service in the jails. Um, a, a tweaker friend of mine was, was in there uh, when I got into the pod. And, uh, and he had this big smile on his face when he saw me come in. And he said, hey, you made it. I didn't, I, I was, I was like, what? He's like, man, I'm so glad you're here. Are you, I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, no, 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 man. Something's happened. He goes, I was dying out there. And he goes, um, something really strange happened to me. Uh, he said this, he said, I think God is real. And that, that struck me sideways. I was like, what, what does that have to do with jail? And he said, I don't know. You know, I, I've been reading this Bible and I think it's true. And that struck me as really strange, too, because I've never cracked a Bible. I didn't even know what was in it. And I'm like, wow, what, what's up with you? And he said, you know, they do these church services in jail, and I've been going, and, I, and, and it's given me a lot of hope. You should go. And I'm like, why do I want to go to a church service? What is that, what is that going to do for me? I'm, in, I'm a prisoner, and I'm a drug addict. He goes, no. He goes, you know, they give out coffee and donuts. You should go. So I went and then uh, I walked into the uh, I walked into the chapel and, um, you know, I'm looking around for the coffee and donuts and there was no coffee and donuts in there. Believe me, <laughs> Sheriff Joe was not going to spring for coffee and donuts for the tweakers. It's not going to happen. And now I'm stuck in there. I can't leave. And so I I sit down and uh, and this this guy from uh, Lutheran Church starts talking and um, I know for sure he's not a drug addict. I'm pretty, like, I'm really certain. And it occurred to me, like, wow, this guy actually believes what he's saying. Like, he's, he's certainly not stupid, and he doesn't seem crazy. And, and what's the deal? He's coming down here because I'm pretty sure he's not getting paid for this. And he's got a wedding ring on, so, which means, you know, he's taking time away from his family. And that struck me. That really impressed me, too. And, um, and I got with him after the service, and I said, uh, Thank you very much for donating your time. I don't know anything about this Jesus guy. And he said, well, here, here's, here's some information. He gave me a Bible. 
And he said, you probably have some time to read this. He said, right. And I, so I went back to my pod and, uh, and, I, and I started reading through the Bible. Was, I read the whole thing, you know, but I, I started, he told me to start in the book of John. I think that's like the place to tell people to go, right? And something happened. And I didn't know, because uh, I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. I did not know that truth was being spoken into my heart. And it occurred to me as I'm reading this at one point, this seems really true to me. Like I'm the king of BS, right? I can spot it a mile away because I'm a drug addict, right? And this didn't seem like BS to me. And I never, I'd like, this is like a history book. And I, I find myself believing this. So fast forward a few weeks and um, I've been going to church services now and I get moved over to Tent City. Uh, they got a big day room in Tent City. It holds about 50 or 60 guys. And I'm in this church service, and I'm like, I'm believing this stuff. Like, what's going to happen? What's the story, right? And, and, and when you talk about overwhelming fear and overwhelming anxiety, I had this weight that I'd been carrying for so long, and I didn't know it was crushing me because I had never known what it was like to have it removed, Right? And I'm in the day room, and this Phoenix First Assembly is there, and there's this lady with more plastic jewelry than I had seen in my entire life. The bracelets and the earrings and the perfume, and wow, you know. But here's the thing, man. They were authentic. It was a husband and wife team. And they were just, they, you know, they, they were like, hey, you know what? Let's just invite the Holy Spirit here. And they just started singing like a Mikey Quinn mantra. Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come. And something happened to me in the back of that room. And I realized the weight of the sin that was on me that was crushing me. And I said, God, I know you're real. And I don't know what this Holy Spirit deal is, but I need you so bad. Please, please help me. And I'll tell you, it was like God walked right into that room because the weight of my sin of my entire life, it was like he said, hey, Mike, let me get that for you. And he picked it up and took it away. And with it, with the removal of the sin went my anxiety. And for the first time, I think maybe in my whole life, I just went, <sighs> and I knew at that point, everything was going to be okay. Everything was going to be okay. And, and, and on a, a, a side note, I think this, because uh, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me with regard to communion. And so every time I close my eyes and I have the bread in the cup, that's where I go. I go right back to that room and that moment because I remember it was the most real thing that ever happened to me. And I knew for certain that I was completely changed at that point. I had a lot of work to do because I'm still a tweaker. I'm still in jail. And I went through the 12-step program, and I've been sober for a lot of years now. Uh, but here's the, here's the neat thing. Um, at about two or three years sober, um, I was doing Timothy Trust with this gentleman right here, John. And in the middle of that program in the middle of that course about a year in God said hey Mike it's time to go back and I got struck with fear because I knew what he meant he said go back to the jail and he said you're going to go back to the jail and you're going to tell people what grace is and I was really I was scared and I, and I went to John I said hey John um, I, I think I think God wants me to go preach in the jail. And he just, he looked at me for like 10 seconds. You know how like a, a dog kind of turns his head and looks at you that way? 
And I'm like, what's he thinking, you know? And he said this. He goes, where do I sign? I was like, well, wait, wait a minute. Don't I need to, like, go to seminary? I don't know how to preach. I don't have an idea at all. I'm like two or three years sober, right? And he says, God doesn't need your resources, Mike. He just needs your trust. And the fear left me because of the exaltation that John gave me. And I've been doing jail ministry for like 14, 14 years now, right? Um, and there's maybe one or two guys in this room that came to my jail service that are here today. And I'll tell you, um, I got to go back to the same room I got saved in. And today I get to preach in the same room that I went to my very first church service in. And I'll tell you, anxiety uh, doesn't drive my life today. I've got anxiety. I'm a control freak still. I got problems. But I'll tell you, um, the weight of the sin that was removed from me literally drove me to a place of peace. And uh, I'm just so grateful to get to be in this community with all of you to get to share this. And I want to just encourage you guys, everybody that's in here that's a believer and you've got the Holy Spirit and you've been saved, you have the resource you need to help others have their anxiety driven from them like an evil spirit. Thank you very much. That's real, huh? That's real, huh? Thank you, Mike. Uh, I think that story of, of the man going back into the town is also the story that you just shared is, is uh, hey, your healing, your transformation uh, wasn't just for you. It was for a lot of other people who did not trust the person or the power or the purposes or the peace of Jesus Christ. And you're getting to share that, and that's unbelievable. Next story. So this story, before we got a kind of an interesting story. This story uh, gets broken up, uh, and there's a story in the middle of it, but we'll get to that one last. So it kind of jumps. You'll, you're going to be fine. <laughs> now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened interesting uh when she woke up he said give her something to eat uh, do you know the story that luke also records uh in luke twenty four forty one, jesus has just appeared to his disciples in the room and he's telling them hey i'm like i'm back i'm alive and they're like uh this is crazy and he goes hey can i is, while you guys are figuring it out does anyone have any food i'm hungry 
it's this interesting thing about Jesus. He wants to show uh, by eating that he is alive and well and that she is alive and well. Um, the, the girl's family, they trusted the person of God. They, they obviously did. They, they fell at his feet and begged him, come help us. We know you can help. Uh, they even trusted that he had the power to do it. But they didn't trust his purposes. When the girl had died, they're like, all right, whatever, it's over. Jesus said, oh, I'm not done. She's just sleeping. And because they did not yet trust, uh, there was very little peace, very little at rest. Next story. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was that that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. She believed who he was. She believed what he could do. She didn't quite care about his purposes. She just knew she needed him. But he established her purposes by telling her, your faith has saved you. Your trust in me has saved you. Now experience peace. And he sent her. He's either um, as real as what Michael Leah shared with you today, or, or he's not. And if he's not, we're all wasting a lot of time on Sunday mornings. He's either as powerful and as near to you as he claims he is, or he's not. And you've all just entrusted yourself into a lie. His purposes are either secure and right and good, or you put your hope in someone that really has no plan for your life and you better start protecting yourself. His peace is either real or it's not. So I, I ask you these questions, and I hope you stay with them. You don't have to answer them today, but do you believe that he is Lord? Do you believe that he is king? Do you believe that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end? Do you believe that all things are made through him and for him and by him and that he is the main authority in all of creation. Do you believe he is strong enough to deal with your circumstance and that nothing in all of creation has the power to thwart or diminish his ability to carry out in your life what he has planned for you and your family and your home? And do you believe that his peace is enough to handle your anxiety? And if you do, if you can answer yes to those things, 
then let's put Philippians 4, 6, and 7 back up on the board. If you can trust those things to be true, then do not be anxious about anything, but in everything fall at His feet and pray. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You say, can you, there's got to be more. Can you give me more? My anxiety feels too big and too strong. And I want to tell you, I think, that's, I think that's it. I think that this is true. There was a morning that sealed the promise. And his very body began to breathe. And out of the silence, this roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on you. The Prince of Peace has put death, darkness, shame, fear, worry, and anxiety on its back. And for anyone who will call him Lord, they will find peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, a peace that guards their hearts, their minds, and it dishes out a whole bunch of freedom. I believe it. I believe it is the one cure for this thing called anxiety that is literally killing us, is that there is a king out there that knows you, that is with you, that has the power to deal with your circumstances, and he longs to give you peace if you'll trust him. Let me pray. Lord, I, I, uh, I, I pray that prayer that Michaelia experienced in the prison. Holy Spirit, come and do your work in the hearts of those in this room. There are many of us, Lord, that are crippled by this thing called anxiety. And we need your spirit, your peace uh, to remove it. And we trust that you're powerful enough to do it. We trust that you're real enough and that you're good enough, and that you have something for our lives that is far beyond our anxiety. We give you our lives. We have nowhere else to run but to you. We entrust ourselves to you, Lord, and we give you this day. In Jesus' name, amen.